Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's Great Conversation takes us into the Australian Classics Book Club for 2019. The Aussie Classics Book Club is a monthly exploration of Australian writing, what makes us tick culturally. Featuring a panel of authors, editors and publishers, the Australian Classics Book Club every month is a great way to discover Australian writing. Today's book club features Michael Haywood, who is the author of The Urn Malley Affair and the publisher at Text Publishing, discussing John Clark's The Tournament. I'm Andrew Popel, and every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. Final Draft explores the best of Australian books, writing and our literary culture. Each week we feature an Australian writer exploring their latest work. Now, the Great Conversations podcast is a great chance to hear more of these discussions and get into the books that you love. And we always want to share books with more people. So why not uh, why not recommend this podcast to a friend and continue the discussion together? You hit subscribe, they hit subscribe, and every week you get a new episode, a new book to discuss, and a new friend to discuss it with. Now, the tournament is a novel about tennis. <laughs> Except in the hands of John Clark, nothing is ever quite as it seems. Bringing together all the great thinkers, artists and personalities of the 20th century in Paris, we are treated to a competition like no other. With Tony Chekhov seated number one in the men's, Simone de Beauvoir in the women's and breakout Vinnie Van Gogh surprising everyone as he reinvents the game stroke by stroke. Join me as I discuss with Michael the absurd genius of John Clark's The Tournament. If you have been hotly watching your calendars, you will know that is the time of the month where we do the Australian Classics Book Club. And it's February. It's our first book club for 2019. And today, I'm joined in the Australian Classics Book Club by Michael Haywood. We are really starting strong this year uh, because Michael is the publisher at Text Publishing. They're the wonderful people who publish the classics that we discuss each month. Michael's also the author of The Earn Malley Affair, and he was the editor of today's Classic Author. Uh, look, welcome, Michael. Well, thank you for joining me um, and taking the time to be in the book club. Pleasure to be here. Now, uh, I'm going to ask you if you if you could, because um, uh, your relationship with our, today's author, can you introduce and reveal today's book that we're going to be discussing? Yes, so today today's book is um, probably one of the most unusual books ever published in Australia, and that is John Clark's The Tournament, uh, which... Uh, is based on a, the completely insane premise that a properly organised, uh, large-scale, um, couple of weeks long tennis tournament is going to uh, be held in Paris and the players are all of the most significant artists, philosophers, writers, um, film stars and so on of the 20th century. Uh, and the book is um, <laughs> sort of... Qu- Crazy Thought Experiments, one of the funniest books that uh, I've ever read, uh, and um, it, it has a perfect, it has a perfectly bonkers logic. The whole thing works out. The one thing I'm not going to say today is uh, who wins the tournament. No, and of course uh, the tournament is the brainchild of none other than John Clark. That's right. Um, and many, many people. I don't think there'd be very few people who aren't familiar with his his long television work, his political satire, uh, but you, you worked as his editor. Can you tell us a little bit about the man before we, uh, before we talk about the book? Yeah, so, so you know, John um, really burst, he, he was um, a household name when he was, you know, a young man in, in New Zealand as, as the persona, in, with his persona of Fred Dagg, and um, he, he, 
he came to Australia in the early early 1980s, I think, um, maybe late 70s. Uh, really, too, I, I, I think it was impossible for, for John to go out of his house in New Zealand without being mobbed. He, he was in, in, incredibly successful, and he wanted to have um, a bit of space and a bit of freedom, so he came to Australia and immediately uh, had an impact on the comedy scene in Australia. He, he was big in Australian television, working with people like Max Gillies and so on, Ross Stevenson, uh, in, in the 80s and 90s. And, and he wrote. He, the, the writing really started with Fred Dagg, because he wrote all of Fred Dagg's scripts. Um, and he started he, um, doing interviews, uh, which became, I guess, his trademark. He started doing these... Uh, fictitious but incredibly carefully scripted interviews with Australian politicians. The whole point of the interview really was that, you know, John Clark playing Paul Keating or playing Bob Hawke or, or whoever it was, he he wasn't mimicking them. He wasn't pretending to be them. If you've seen any of Max Gillies' work from that period, you'll realise what a what a brilliant um, uh, mimic comedian he was playing Hawk or playing Peacock or, or any of these figures. John didn't do that. He, he was very deadpan and, and the humour came through um, uh, using the interview as the most incisive form of political analysis uh, that, 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 you, that you could encounter. So he, he started doing this. He started doing them on, on, on television with Brian Dorr and it became a 30-year project and that's how I first encountered John as as a writer because we began to publish books of the interviews uh, and that taught me uh, straight away what a um, what a precise wordsmith he was he was a miniaturist it was all to do with reducing things to their smallest constituent parts that's how the humor worked and if you've watched any of the um interviews on youtube or whatever you realize that that deadpan delivery also um, uh, um was about absolutely exquisite comic timing and the comic timing is built into the rhythm of the writing so that was my introduction to john uh, as a writer, um, we published his uh, complete book and then his more, even more complete book of Australian Verse, which is a brilliant book of um, uh, poetic parodies. And then it must have been, um, I guess, in the late 90s, uh, round about then, just about when John was doing the games for uh, ABC um, television, he, br he brought in... This into the office, this very large sort of glued together sheets of paper which had the draw of the tournament on it and he'd been writing away at this thing um, and we just looked at it and I'd, I had never seen anything so berserk and so obviously publishable in my life. Um, it, it would have been as long as Hansard if we'd let him go. You know, all the matches were going to five sets. It was, it was endless. Um, but we set about working together and, um, and, and eventually, you know, we, there's a men's draw, women's draw, doubles, men's and women's doubles, mixed doubles, um, and we published the book around 2002, just about then, so... 
Now, now, Michael, you've mentioned uh, descriptors like berserk and, and ludicrous. We've got the great thinkers, artists, stars of the 20th century playing tennis against each other. It's, it's absurd. And the idea could obviously just play for its comedic value. But before we actually got to the story, I wanted to think about the staggering intelligence that John obviously brought to these matchups and portraying them. Because I did rewatch some old Clark and Dawes last night, and I was actually struck by the fact that if, if I were not aware of the context and the political climate that they were referencing, they played just like a political interview. And and so too with the tournament. It's it's pitch-perfect sports commentary, but infused throughout, there's the there are these deep historical and philosophical understandings of every single player. And as I found myself laughing at a quip or a satire of a player's style, I, I also had to acknowledge... There must be so much that I am missing because I just do not know every single player well enough. There are, there are hundreds in the draw. Um, yeah, but that's, I, I mean, in a, in a, in a, in a way, um, it's a book which you can read sequentially. You can read it to find out what happens. There's, there are going to be winners and losers. But it's also a book that you can dip into. And John, John had very strong... He read incredibly widely. He he knew a lot about a lot of things. Um, he was fascinated by ideas, um, and, and so the kind of the aspect of him that was a sort of polymath went went into the book. And there would be very few people, I have to say, who um, who would know everybody in the tournament. But if you read um, uh, a match and you're just not sure who somebody is, you know, you can look them up and and some. I don't think you need to do that. I think the humour is released anyway, and you can work out what's going on um, just by the context. Um, so yeah, it's a it's it's a the book is a thought experiment, but it's also an it's also a, a, an experiment in in comedy. And John, he he never wanted to do the same thing over and over. That is to say, having invented. Um, the interviews format, you know, he was he was very happy to do that weekly. That allowed him to engage with current affairs and what people were talking about and so on. But he never he he never wanted to do a new piece of writing that in which he didn't invent the form for it first. And the tournament was um, was a really good example of that. One of the constant um, strands of of his work, right back from you know, the days with Fred Dagg was his ability, his fascination with sports commentary and his ability to resituate the um, the cliches of sports co- of sports commentary for comic effect. John John was famous in New Zealand. He and his mates would uh, they'd imitate a famous New Zealand race caller, and the way to do it was probably after you'd drunk all the beer in the jug was that you would call the race into the beer jug and you'd get this echoic effect with the voice and then coming etc you know and and he was also very famous fred dag for calling a flea race um <laughs> which was completely made up but we had to imagine there were fleas crawling across the stage in front of him one of the first things that he did when he got to australia and particularly he got to melbourne which is a totally sport obsessed city uh, not least with australian rules football was um you know he gave us a new sport he invented farnarkling and when we were putting um you know everything that he'd done together in um uh, tinkering the book that we published last year after his death I was just amazed to discover because Farnarkling became a household word. Everybody knew about Dave Sorensen. It was funny as a fit, but actually there are only about 
five, eight, ten thousand words of Van Aarkling commentary that John wrote. It's very, very small, but because the nub of it was so cleverly worked out, of course it expanded in the imagination. But I don't think he could have done Van Aarkling, um, A, without coming to Melbourne and thinking, what was this bizarre religion of everybody talking about Australian rules football all all the time, and and B, without this constant lifelong fascination of the comic possibility of of sports commentary. Now, the whole point of Farnarkling is that you've got a commentary on a sport which which nobody knows anything about. Um, The tournament is different because uh, you've got... I mean, t- tennis. Tennis is, you know, it's a rectangular game. There are there are rectangles up each up each end of the court. There are tram lines and all the rest. It's a game built on right angles. It has a frame, and so the frame of the tennis court became John's. It was the new challenge was instead of. Um, um, rearranging the cliches of sports commentary about a sport that nobody knew anything about, Farnarkling, was to take a knowable sport like tennis and then situate it in the last kind of context that anybody would expect, which was which would be modernist art or um, nihilist philosophy or um, you know Hollywood in the 1930s or whatever. So what John knew how to do really well to release humour was to rub two very, very different things together and to find a connection between them. The, the, the book is about, we're not going to be able to get away from sports, so I feel safe leaving uh, the tennis for just a moment. And I was, I was curious of a few things that jumped out at me and whether John, in exploring form and exploring the comedy available in something like the tournament, was also looking at his own work, his own output, his own art. Um, I couldn't help but go past, uh, we had Roland Barthes as uh, a commentator and a, a journalist yep. observing the event. And in a in a parody of of Bart's philosophy around the idea of the death of the author, yep. uh, very much informing postmodernism, he has Bart's put put forward the contention that the game has undergone such fundamental change that the relationship with the commentator and the crowd is now the principal intellectual contract. But of course, this is doubled down on because. John is not only the commentator, but he is also the author. So in, in his own death is the rebirth of himself. And I, I wondered whether I was, you know, rolling myself in too deep on the, on the thought there or whether there might have been some unconscious or conscious exploration by John in the way his comedy was actually then informing the world, be it of politics or otherwise, as he saw it. Maybe. I mean, John was never a neutral commentator um you know he 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 was completely engaged with with what he did his humor uh was lacerating um but it was never cruel and um he he wanted to play things for ideas he wanted to expose um he wanted to expose um hypocrisy double standards outright lying all the rest of it he wanted to use language to do that and really um we might be over interpret interpreting Roland Bart a, a little bit because what what would have i th- what fascinates John ab- 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 about Roland Bart is that he's a commentator who who thinks he's making up the rules um as he goes along um but that and again we can't possibly reveal what happens in the book um uh, but Roland Bart might meet a fate in the tournament, which is not one that he would himself expect. Um, 
Durham, you're not the first person to uh, suggest that I might have gone a little too deep, Michael. Um, it, it's it's an, a, a fall that I often make in books. Now, I'm going to come back to the sport because the tournament progresses as sporting fixtures, as sporting fixtures as well as books entitled The Tournament will tend to do. And the play continues, both word and ball, and it seems like we've got this marvellously erudite but otherwise sporty progression of events. You mentioned before you can, you can jump into a match or a particular day's play. But then uh, there's an event that sort of occurs through the course of the book, I think maybe a third to a half of the way through, where we have the disappearance of Rosa Luxemburg, yep. uh, which, of course, if you if you were reading and wanted to put down the book and, yep. and Google her, we know the historical yep. parallels. But this begins to occupy the player's thoughts. Was there a deeper narrative drive that John had concealed? And we don't have to spoil anything for the no, book. No, we don't. Yeah. But the, 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 the novel... I guess we can call it a novel. Um, the, it, 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 it becomes um, a form, it starts to look like a parable um, of 20th century politics. Uh, and you've got um, uh, those uh, players who are all for uh, democracy, openness, transparency, and you've got other players for whom winning at all costs is, is the main thing. And the tournament itself starts to be um, uh, distorted uh, and r- the disappearance of Rosa Luxemburg is, is the key moment for this. It starts to be distorted by external events. So the, the tournament is not something that happens outside history. It's something that addresses history. It's inside history. And um, uh, that becomes more and more important as you read on and as you get to the pointy end of the tournament, that is the quarterfinals and semifinals, it really matters who the players who've survived to the last stages are. And of course, we can look at the, the sort of the commentary on 20th century politics thought, but then I, I saw these, you know, spooky parallels. Of course, you know, we lost John a couple of years ago. This book's now 17 years old. But um, in in the conduct of the the tennis authority and the world tennis and then the individual nations tennis uh clubs and and brilliantly Nietzsche is of course the head of Nike because because of course he is I saw also these strange (laughs) parallels with things like the recent uh the recent situation where Hakim Al-Arabi was being detained um Bahraini refugee and and FIFA's role it's it's remarkable the thought that was brought to bear and how we, we see sort of internationalism and uh, multinational corporations realising John's, John's satire for him. Yeah, no, no, and I think, I think that's what, what wonderful books do, is that, you know, they, they remain relevant, um, and that's why they, you know, we put this book into the classics because it will speak to generations um, who didn't grow up, you know, knowing John, um, uh, and who didn't, you know, weren't sort of entertained by by him while they were forming their own values and, and reading and so on. So, you, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think the tournament, you know, will will continue to to speak to people. Uh, the other reason why we wanted to put this book into the classics is what I was saying at, at the opening is um, it's like a lot of what John did. It's just there, there is no there is no sort of cultural. Um, uh, logic or or um, historical logic in Australia or anything that would allow you to predict the existence of this book. Right? It's, it's you know the, the, from beginning from beginning to end the the, the book is um, uh, a completely unexpected extracurricular thing. It's 
and and because of that, it's a very very unusual lens through which to look at. Um, and I have never haven't really thought about the tournament in this way in particular because its focus is is so resolutely international. But one of the things John I think was able to do as an insider outsider as a, as a Kiwi in Australia was he was able to see us very clearly, and um, and I think he did bring um, uh, those sort of insights to bear. Uh, in in the tournament, one of one of the he he wrote this um, this series of of um, pa- parodies of great novels, um, which in which he would reduce war and peace to a paragraph or whatever, and they're, and they're very funny. But they are also extremely astute uh, political um, uh, praises of. Um, you know, loss of freedom, um, absence of democracy, um, 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 all, all of all of those things which are preoccupying us now. I mean, there are one or two uh, Clark interviews about Donald Trump, but um, good heavens, um, we need him. We're, you know, we w- he, 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 we absolutely need uh, John Clark right now to um, try to provide the, the comic focus that we need um, on what's happening uh, to the world. Clark on Brexit, Clark on um, uh, Trump and, and collusion uh, would be absolutely brilliant to have. I did, I did see a, a, an absolutely brilliant uh, Clark on Brexit last night in my, in my travels through the internet. Uh, I think it was in, entitled something like, it, it, you know, it couldn't possibly happen here. Yep. Um, yep. Let's, yep. let's just draw this thread uh, to its close then, because I was really interested, and you've, you've touched on this, how we understand the tournament in the broader context of Australian literature. And you've, you've mentioned something along the lines of a different lens to view ourselves. Now, sport is prone to cliché. Some might even argue that sport is cliche and in the tournament John Clark has given us a different way to look at sport but is our understanding of Australia sometimes cliched and the tournament is that lens you know we, we need to look beyond the bush and the beach and the tournament allows us to to look outside and see I, one thing that struck me is there are Australian players there are New Zealand players but for a country that insists on always being at the top um, I think uh, I think a lot of readers who are sports fans might insist that he probably could have found room for a few more Aussies. Yeah, I, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think that's that's why why we read the book. Mm. Um, but that different lens, that idea that we need to read it for, for a different reason than for the yeah. cliche. I mean, you could make the because New Zealand's just about as sport obsessed as Australia is. Um, you could make make the case, I think, that only an Antipodean, someone who'd grown up with the sound of the the, the footy commentary on and the radio in the background or the races commentary or whatever, could do this, could, could think of, of taking this very uh, shop-worn form of discourse, of commentary, um, and, and applying it in completely unexpected circumstances. It might be much harder to imagine that as being... Um, something that might happen in in Europe or or in Asia. I, I don't know. But having done it, uh, it's part of the joke that John applies it systematically. So no one's going to get a Guernsey in the tournament because of their nationality. They're going to get a Guernsey, uh, and they're going and they're going to line up to serve or, or whatever because they've got something to say which John wants to be part of the jigsaw of of the whole book. Mm. 
Michael, uh, thank you so much. Now, I'm speaking with Michael Hayward. We're in the Australian Classics Book Club, the first for the year. And uh, look, it was a great first round match. We are discussing the tournament, (laughs) (laughs) discussing the tournament by John Clark. Uh, Michael, I think we both progressed to the next round for that one. I really appreciate your time. Uh, it's a pleasure, and I hope um, when your um, your listeners, um, if they don't know the book and they go on, they go and find it, that it gives them the same pleasure that it's given us. That's it for this great conversation with Michael Hayward. Michael and I have opened up the Australian Classics Book Club for 2019, and we begin with the comic genius of John Clark's The Tournament. Great Conversations is recorded on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation at 2SER's Broadway Studios in Sydney, Australia. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. To keep up with the latest in books, writing and literary culture, follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Just look for at Final Draft 2SER. You can also click subscribe in wherever you get your podcasts, whichever app you're using, and you get a new Great Conversation every week. My name is Andrew Popel, and I'm going to be back next week with more great conversations from Final Draft. So till then, happy reading.